Welcome to the Vortex Edge podcast brought to you by firearms instructors who love training, guns, gear, and most importantly, helping shooters of all levels improve their skills and confidence with firearms. Hey everybody, Jimmy here with Instructor Corey, and that means we're talking about some long range related stuff. Specifically, the thing everybody loves to talk about, the guns themselves. Now we've got a few, if you're watching here on YouTube, we've got a few rifles over our shoulders here on the table. They're going to be used as reference in this. And the big thing we want to discuss here is that not all long-range rifles are created equal. I think that Corey can go into this. Each of these rifles here on the table are perfectly capable of executing a long-range shot, but... I think we need to maybe further define or something like that. For those of you out there who are maybe shopping for a rifle or considering using a certain rifle that you have for a certain application, you know, long-range shooting, I'll put that in quotes, Corey, it can mean different things to different people. You know, one of these up here, I think it's, if again, if you're watching, it can be probably pretty obvious. One of them might be perfectly fine for taking a, a reasonably long shot at game in a hunting scenario. And one of them might be a better uh, choice if you're going to be do so- doing something at a higher round count, like taking one of our long-range classes right. or going to a PRS match or something else, just shooting for fun but shooting relatively higher round counts. So, Corey, how did this topic come up? Well, uh, so obviously I'm a long-range shooting instructor, uh, and we get to see patterns and kind of students that show up with certain equipment. And, uh, and we find that uh, students, sometimes they show up with rifles such as uh, the black one up there, which looks a lot like a traditional hunting rifle. I'm sure a lot of you have those in your gun safes at home. Uh, and we get students to show up and they're like, well, I have this gun and it, it shoots, you know, a caliber. It's a high power, powered cartridge and I think I can shoot long range with it and I just want to try it out. Uh, so they do show up with equipment like that. Uh, and we see them uh, oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes struggle. Uh, and we just wanted to kind of clear up uh, some reasons that why that might be uh, and what yeah. exactly to look for to help kind of mitigate that and help people make better decisions as far as equipment selection goes. Uh, but some people do just like to, you know, bring their hunting rifle out and see what they can do, which is fine too. But yeah. uh, uh, just knowing what you have is kind of right. how it came about and, and uh, knowing what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can absolutely come out and shoot one of those long range classes. Uh, like I said, I think what we're looking at there, one of the biggest things is that you're going to be shooting all day, you know, in in a hunting scenario, hopefully you really only end up shooting once, maybe twice or something like that. This you're going to be shooting all day. You're going to be taking in a lot of information and some of these rifles, they can either be quite fatiguing to shoot all day, or maybe they're just not built to shoot that much in that short period of time or something like that. Uh, I think, again, you know, not to discourage people on a a certain rifle that they have, it may be really accurate, but if you shoot it three to five times, you know, you can shoot some of them away, and then then we kind of see things open up, which is kind of a weird concept for some people. I think especially if you have only used a rifle in a hunting scenario before, it is one that you've only shot, you shoot it a couple times, confirm your zero, make a click here and there, and then, you know, again, it goes out in the woods and maybe takes one or two shots. Right. And these are things now that they're just finally learning about the gun setups. So, um, Corey, take us through kind of, I feel like the best way to start with this might be, um, what is it about that traditional hunting rifle? What is it? I, I named a few things, but just real quick there, we'll, we'll go more in depth on it. What is yep. it about this particular rifle that, that makes it, or this style that makes it less ideal for 
you know, a long range class or a PRS match or something like that. Yeah. So there's a few things with it. I think the main thing though, what I'm kind of drawn to, and I think other precision rifle uh, shooters or long range shooters are drawn to is, is we immediately look at the barrel profile. Uh, so you can see, and everybody on camera can see that uh, the rifle below has a much thicker profile barrel uh, versus the top rifle is much thinner. Uh, and uh, the thinner profile barrel uh, is not going to be as conducive to accuracy over, you know, a bunch of shots. So if we're mm -hmm. taking 5, 10, maybe 15 shots, uh, we very well could see the group start to open up. Uh, just because that barrel is not as rigid, it's not as stiff as, as the one on the bottom, uh, it's not as thick. Uh, and that metal is going to heat up a lot more quickly mm -hmm. than, than this uh, profile on the bottom. Just because it's thinner and metal, when it heats up, becomes more malleable. Uh, and we could start to see stringing and things like that. Uh, so that's one of the main things about that top rifle that kind of makes it, you know, somewhat unsuitable for a long range shooting course like we do here. Yeah. Uh, it's a bizarre phenomena what you're describing there too. I mean, just to think about a barrel heating up and causing inaccuracies, but we see it all the time. Like you right. said, with stringing or, or some of these other phrases or just phenomena that you'll see with people, sometimes a gun will start to heat up and you'll start to see the group almost begin to walk itself. Right. off of a target and that could be uh, I believe that what happens when they go through the process of making these barrels is that sometimes there's minor inconsistencies in the metallurgy that cause the barrel to kind of take the path of least resistance as it's expanding and they'll right. start to start to actually sort of you know somewhat microscopically if you will kind of curve off to one side or, or right. kind of deflect a little or those imperfections could get exposed more uh, because when we shoot, we have something called barrel whip, mm -hmm. which is where the harmonics and all that are barrels. Actually, uh, there's very quick vibrations and things going on. If you think of like a guitar string, almost just a very quick and the barrel goes through a few motions. It's called barrel whip. Uh, and that's where the term harmonics, you know, the barrels, harmonics and things come from. Uh, so that could get exposed more when the barrel starts to heat up. Yeah. Uh, and then that's where we see those uh, those groups open up and that stringing and things like that. For sure, so, for sure. So another characteristic about that top rifle, though, other than the barrel profile, uh, is uh, just so the folks at home know, this uh, top one is a 7mm rem mag, uh, and it's probably 5 to 6 pounds total rifle weight. Okay. Um, so that alone, just with that in mind, uh, there's going to be a lot more recoil, right? And, you know, I know a lot of the guys that come out are grown men, you know, and we do get women to come out too, but uh, a lot of them are grown men, think they can handle uh, that recoil, which I'm, I'm sure they can, uh, but it does affect you. You know, we're all human beings and we start to feel it after, yeah, you know, yeah. I start to feel it when I'm shooting that rifle after uh, three or four shots. And uh, that will play into how we can actually group in our accuracy on target. Um, you know, maybe we're flinching or anticipating a shot because... We know this thing's about to, you know, recoil really hard into our shoulder, so we want to fight against it. Yeah. Uh, so that becomes an issue, too, when we see these rifles show up uh, to these courses. It does. That's such an interesting one because, you know, like, even if you mentioned the whole, it, it can be a bit of a macho thing sometimes, right, when you're yeah, talking about a, little a, bit. a big caliber and... and of course, it's in a lightweight gun, which is funny because if you're talking macho, you're like also shredding, shedding pounds because you know you want to be as lightweight. Yeah. Anyway, it can be a bit contradictory. But in those in those particular rifles, it's not always necessarily that you start to become afraid of the rifle. I don't think that's what we're saying, and you know, I, I don't think that's what anybody thinks. But like after a like, if you're consciously having to think about the recoil, that's if we all work with a hundred percent consciousness. 
and it starts to get eaten up by other things other than mm-hmm. concentrating on the shot, the fundamentals yep. of marksmanship, yep. what our wind is, and all that other stuff. If we can't dedicate 100% of our consciousness to that product, and some of it's being diverted away to thinking about, okay, not to mention, once this gun goes off, it's going to buck me pretty good, yep. you know? As soon as you start thinking about that stuff, you're you're losing some bit of, of thought process that can go into the actual shot. Right. Um, and that's and that's where you see all all the time you see PRS competitors who are shooting a, a pretty significant round count, all having to stay very precise and shooting at long ranges. They're usually right. shooting the little six millimeters out of like a twenty pound gun. Yeah. And they're trying to mitigate that as much as possible so that it isn't something they have to think about. Right. And uh, weight is good when it comes to precision rifle and long-range shooting. Like a heavier gun is better. Uh, helps us with stability uh, and from shot to shot, being able to spot our, our own impacts and things like that. Uh, but it is application-based, yeah. depending on what the person wants to do with the rifle. Right, right. Just like it's easier for you to flick a ping-pong ball across a, a table than it is to flick a shot put right. thing across a table yeah. with the same amount of input, <laughs> it's very easy for a big caliber to move this gun back at your shoulder at a pretty rapid rate than it is to move this larger gun. So Right. Uh, and just a final thing, final note on that top one, why it's not necessarily the best thing to show up to a long-range course with. Uh, is just uh, we need some adjustability back here on the stocks. Mm. Uh, the two main ones are uh, this piece right here where our face actually connects to uh, the rifle. That's called the comb height adjustment. Uh, and then also back here, I don't know if they can see it or not, but some spacers can be put in and taken out of this stock uh, to allow me to lengthen it or to shorten it. And I don't have those options on that traditional type of hunting rifle. So uh, I'm, I'm stuck with what I have. Unless if I can get some kind of aftermarket thing, which there's very uh, little uh, opportunities to do that out there. Not many uh, things like that exist. So I'm, I'm kind of yeah. stuck with what I have. So unless if that gun perfectly fits me, which, you know, doubtful, yeah. uh, I'm always going to be fighting it to some degree or doing something to strain or uh, crowd the rifle. And uh, I can't perfectly fit that to, to me as a person. Mm. Uh, and that's an important part to the long range shooting. So uh, it's not impossible to make a good shot without those adjust adjustments. Uh, it just makes our job a little bit harder. And uh, um, it would be a lot better if we just could jump on the rifle and everything is right there, right, ready to go for us. Because that reduces muscle tension, which you guys right. talk about all the time. And it doesn't necessarily, again, mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm having to explain things to the macho folks out there. So, <laughs> But it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, this gun is so heavy I can't lift it. But it just it, it literally means muscle tension. Anything that you have to do to manipulate the gun is, is potential for inaccuracies and inconsistencies, right? Right. And uh, it falls into uh, elements of a good shooting position. There's three of them, bone support. Uh, muscular relaxation, so that's what we're kind of talking about now, and then that leads to natural point of aim. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if we can't achieve that muscular relaxation, then we're we're fighting uh, our equipment, and that's not a good place to be. Yeah. So, what uh, before we move on to talking about this uh, the the larger barrel profile gun with the adjustments, things like that. Before we talk about that, um, what do you recommend for somebody, or, or how do you approach? Uh, this is this is your own gun, right? The yeah. seven millimeter here. Yep. Um, how do you approach using that yourself when you are in you know a hunting scenario and you still need to execute a really accurate shot? Like, how much do you train with this rifle and being accurate with it and you know understanding how it functions and what you know? Obviously, you got to get dope on it and get uh, data on it and things like that. 
how do you go about doing that and really working the fundamentals while also not dealing with like what it's very frustrating when you're trying to get good data on a rifle, you're trying to zero it and you're trying to do whatever it is, but if it's got a real thin barrel profile and now all of a sudden, okay, I'm always having to wait for it to cool down, right? you know, or this thing's really kicking me like crazy and my shoulder's starting to hurt and I'm starting to, I'm starting to anticipate that recoil a lot, but I'm only 10 rounds into to, quote, practicing or training with this thing. Like, right. How do you balance that? Right. So um, you kind of hit on it a little bit there. But uh, just because it is a, a lighter rifle and shoots a, a Magnum cartridge, it is hard on the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and I also, uh, half the battle is just knowing what you have, knowing your equipment. So, uh, well, now the folks at home are starting to learn, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do have a rifle like this, uh, we can't just sit and plug away, you know, 10, 15 rounds and, and expect any sort of accuracy or confidence in what we're seeing. Uh, so I do take that into account, knowing my equipment. Uh, if I want to go and say uh, shoot at a 500-yard target and gather information on that, uh, I will take my first few shots. Uh, and I'll see where I'm impacting, uh, see the elevation, uh, and then record that if I need to. And then I'll give the gun a rest, right? Mm-hmm. Just give it time to cool down because those thin profile barrels, especially shooting those faster cartridges, they'll heat up pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, so I want to make sure I give it adequate time to kind of cool down. So that I'm not, uh, my information that I'm collecting, you know, my elevation that I need to be at to hit 500, it's not construed somehow by uh, uh, imperfection in the equipment or kind of like a a shortcoming with it. Uh, So I think half the battle is just knowing what you have and knowing what it's capable of uh, and trying to uh, stay within those confines, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, I don't necessarily, you know, I have in my head, you know, a certain distance where I, I could confidently take a shot at a a certain size target and I'm okay with that. I know the, the equipment's capable of it. I know I'm capable of doing it. Um, but I wouldn't go, you know, past a certain distance, you know, maybe, you know, with that gun, I would say 500 plus, I'd probably just leave it alone just because mm-hmm. the gun is not necessarily designed, um, you know, to a higher degree for accuracy purposes, you know, yeah. it's, it's designed for a different application. And that's always gun and shooter dependent too. Yeah. I think that's important to mention because you hear people out there sometimes they get an idea and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I can't shoot a deer beyond 400 yards. It's like, okay, well, where'd you get that number? I don't know. I yeah. heard someone else say it. It's like, oh, well, you got a different gun than them. You're in a different location than them, different game, different shooter yourself, you know. Yeah. So anyway, that's just for your reference out there. How about, again, just real quick on this because I think so many people are in this situation, but like say you then get – somebody now they go out and get two guns that's always the answer get more guns (laughs) you get something like this this is a great gun i think to train with shoot a lot of long range with go out shoot competition with um Mm -hmm. and when i'm pointing at it for those who are only listening is the the gun that's very obviously a larger profile heavier gun all that stuff um chambered in 308 308 okay got it got it you didn't go the common route and it's something (laughs) that starts with six um but training with this is that going to set you up uh, poorly, I would say, to go and then shoot something like the 7mm the here with the, the recoil? You know, like, are, are you lulling yourself to some sort of a degree of, of comfort where you're like, oh, yeah, every gun I shoot is nice and easy. And then you pull this gun out and you're like, oh, I wasn't ready for that. And, and you know, like, is there any issue there? Um, I would say uh, maybe there, there could be an issue there. But I would say as long as the person is educated and they know what to expect and uh, from their certain uh, equipment, their platform, yeah. uh, I would say that they could definitely, you know, 
go from a gun like this, shooting a gun like this consistently, and then jumping over to something like that and understanding like, okay, this is what I have now, and these are the things that I need to pay attention to in order to make a good shot on target. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, just knowing uh, the things to look for. Uh, and some of the stuff I'm talking about, too, is like, so this is a heavier gun, shoots a 308 Winchester. It's roughly 20 pounds or so, so a lot lighter on the recoil than that top one. So it is nicer to shoot. I don't have a muzzle brake on it, um, so I do jump off target a little bit, just given mm -hmm. that. But the recoil is much nicer uh, than that 7 mag. Um, so I don't have to worry about that. The trigger is about two and a half pounds. So it's a nicer trigger to shoot. Um, That's another point too. Yeah. The yep. trigger. Uh, so, and the gun is fitted to me. I have these adjustments back here. So I do shoot this a lot. This is kind of like my training gun. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I jump onto that rifle right there, it's a lighter rifle. I might have to do a couple of things differently. Uh, one of them, I need to make sure that my field of view is good since I can't fit that rifle to my body. Uh, if I just snug right into it, I'm probably going to get some scope shadow there. So I might have to move my head in a different way that I wouldn't with this rifle yeah. in order to achieve a uh, good eye relief uh, and a good sight picture. So uh, that's one of them. And another one is uh, the top rifle, that hunting rifle, has about 5.6 pound trigger pull, mm. which is pretty significant. That's uh, that's a tough tough one to work with uh so yeah i have to check to make sure i'm not on safe sometimes to, yeah i can see know, that it's uh so just knowing that i need to know that about that gun though in order to make a good shot on target with that rifle yeah um it and it's still hard though because it is a lighter rifle and i'm shooting a seven millimeter mag so um you know i try to just deal with the recoil and allow the rifle to to go off you know as much as i can uh, but a big thing is just the, the trigger control, mm. right? That 5.6 pound trigger uh, uh, pull. It's very easy to come off target, uh, especially if I'm in a somewhat unstable position. So uh, it really comes down to just knowing your equipment uh, and knowing how to work with it, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and something you mentioned there too. I mean, you were talking about, uh, oh, it was, I think it was involving the trigger. Sometimes this happens in podcasting, ladies and gentlemen, where you just completely forget uh, what you were going to say. But no, those are all those are all really good points. And um, you know, the hunting rifle. Oh, uh, I think it was in regards to. Well, I can speak from experience, where you're talking about how the rifle is not always perfectly fitted to you, and you know, you may have to find your spot or make your own spot behind the scope to to make sure that your sight picture is right. You got the right mm -hmm. field of view. You're not getting scope shadow. I can speak from experience and say I know one time. Myself, kind of transferring between rifles, I found myself behind a lightweight, just 6.5 Creedmoor, not something that people would consider a super high recoiling round or anything like that, but it was in a really lightweight rifle, and I had gotten used to shooting all these big, you know, 15, 20 pound guns and little 6 millimeter cartridges and things like that, and pretty much, you know, you basically can just set the gun somewhere and bring your finger up, pull the trigger, and it's not even going to recoil enough to fall off of the bag it's sitting on. Right, yeah. And um, I just wasn't thinking, and I got set up on a target, and I could actually see the target in the scope real well, but in the the way that I had it, it wasn't, the stock wasn't against my shoulder, it was kind of against my bicep almost, because right. I was having to transition between targets. It was kind of a mess of a situation. I was on the clock, yada, yada. And... um. I'm like, okay, I can see the target. Doesn't matter wherever the rifle is. I can just shoot it because I know, and I thought so. And I ended up getting scope eyed. 
Oh, uh, yeah. And that's with a scope that had, you know, four, 4.2 inches of eye relief, which is plenty. Very forgiving eye relief. But because I had gotten so lazy with where I put the scope or where I put the rifle in my shoulder pocket, then I just, I wound up having that issue. But, right. And yeah. that's a good point, too, is just for safety concern is those lighter rifles, especially the ones shooting the Magnum cartridges, like they can... They can come back, especially if you don't have the opportunity to adjust the length of pull that stock. Like you could very easily uh, nick yourself in the yeah in the eyebrow there, and uh, that's, that's what happened to me. And and yeah. like I said, with just a six five Creedmoor, yeah. So um, it, it it had enough, but and then the trigger thing too. That was what I was going to bring up too. It never hurts to dry fire a trigger when you're switching between guns, just to remember. Right where you're at right. and which and, gun you got there, which trigger. Yep, kind of creating that relationship with your equipment. Like, okay, now I know what to expect. I've dry fired this a few times. Uh, and then we can get behind the gun and load it and uh, see how we do. Mm-hmm. How about, all right, talk about, we've we've alluded to it plenty of times now, but the, the 308 sitting here, the big 20-pound behemoth, it actually doesn't look <laughs> like 20 pounds yeah. when you're looking at it. But I've picked this gun up before. It is indeed all of 20 pounds. I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked if it was even over. Talk about what's going on with this gun that makes it such a great trainer. Uh, this is one that you would absolutely, I know you would take right through one of our long-range classes, a couple days long perhaps even, and of training, and uh, what what it is about this thing. Okay, yeah, so uh, just kind of the opposite of what we were talking about up there. So I have a heavier barrel, so right off the bat I have some rigidity and stiffness that's going to allow me to pr- produce accurate uh, groups on target. Uh, the barrel is not going to heat up as quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to heat up more slowly. Uh, and then when it does heat up, it's going to cool down more quickly, right? So I can actually, you know, do those 10, 15 shot groups and I'm fine. Like that barrel is going to cool down in no time flat and I'm still ready to go. Uh, so definitely a point right there. Also, the barrel is free floated. So Ooh, yeah, good yeah. point. So all those barrel harmonics uh, we talked about when we, we fire, we get some, you know, vibrations and certain uh, movements from the barrel. Uh, and we would just want that to operate freely. We don't want anything touching it to mess up those harmonics in any way. Uh, we just want it to operate, you know, the way it should. Uh, so what you'll find on long range guns is it's free floated from uh, this point uh, all the way forward, right? There's nothing Pretty touching right it. where it meets the receiver yep. all the way to the end. Yep. And uh, that one is not free floated. So typical, unless if it's advertised for a traditional type hunting rifle, you can probably expect them not to be free floated. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I think it's something the manufacturers are throwing out there for people because they, they know the importance of it now for the most part. Well, and sometimes, sorry, uh, working range here, we got an air compressor running in the background, if you can hear that. But anyway, sometimes too, with these hunting rifles, maybe it's even a free fro- floated barrel, but the stock they have on it can tend to be so thin and they're mm-hmm. trying to achieve that lightweight, it becomes a bit, it, it's p- prone to flex. And right. so if you have a bipod on it, I've found that pressing in and loading your bipod a bit will make this stock Fl- come up. Yep. And right there, I'm and just you doing even it. did it right there. Yeah. Yep. And now the barrel is no longer free floated. So right. just the way that you load the gun will all of a sudden start to produce different results. Right. Um, And along with that, too, you talk about loading the bipod. So there's another point for this one is the weight, like we talked about before, is, you know, it settles. The the gun settles very nicely versus uh, this top uh, rifle, you know, five or six pounds. It doesn't settle as easily. So when I'm behind uh, the rifle trying to get a good sight picture and get on target, things are shifting pretty easily. Mm. uh, And it it wants to move around a lot more freely than this this heavier gun down here on the bottom. Uh, So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, And I would say along with weight, you know, when people uh, think about, okay, I want to go shoot long range, I'm going to look for, you know, a cartridge. 
uh, they tend to try to go all out and get like those bigger Magnum cartridges. You know, yeah. I want a bullet that can actually reach those targets. Uh, no well, holdover, thousand right. yards. Yeah, and I would say <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> something like that. And I would say if you if if that's their strategy, uh, you know, uh, if you are going to get that 300 Win Mag, uh, I would try. I would make an argument for trying to get a heavier gun. Mm-hmm. You know, proportionate to uh, you know the power that that cartridge is going to produce. Uh, to try to get it to settle. It's not going to recoil into your shoulder as much. It's going to allow it to operate a lot more uh, fluidly yeah. uh, than some. You know, this is a 308, and it's about 20 pounds, so it, it tends to work pretty well uh, in that manner. It's always very nerve-wracking when you see someone come in, and they're just like, yeah, I got this 450 lot, and this gun weighs five and a half pounds, and you're <laughs> like, ooh. Yeah. Like, you're about to get, Bringing the 3378 here, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, I'm just, I've distracted myself entirely even just <laughs> thinking about it, but yeah, these are all, these are all very good points. Yeah. And then we mentioned it a little bit earlier too, but just kind of moving back on the rifle, uh, the trigger, I think that's one of the more important ones. Cause mm-hmm. when I go from this rifle to that rifle, you know, I feel the weight, I feel the difference there, but when I go to press the trigger, I can feel like there is a huge uh, deviation in performance there. Yeah. Uh, so even, you know, two and a half is probably considered a little on the heavy side for precision rifle shooters now, but I like it. I think it's a good weight, um, but having a good trigger is important. Mm-hmm. It is definitely uh, important. I'll throw one out there, uh, Corey. You've got on the more hunting rifle, this is a very common thing, just where the, the round's going. You have an internal magazine there, it appears, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Again, just in terms of, th- these are little things, right, that can just make your training session or a long-range class easier. This gun maybe holds, what, probably like four rounds? Three to four. Three to yeah, four. I forget. Yeah. Something like that. And so, you know, you're either going to be sled-loading a lot or you're going to be stuffing rounds down in there all the time. That just gets kind of tedious, really. Right. And other folks are going to be able to maybe, if they have one like uh, like this gun, the 308 here, this um, this has a detachable box magazine, I see. So you yep. may be able to get a magazine that's got 10, heck, 15, 20 rounds yep. if you're really feeling ambitious. But even a 10-round magazine, it can make going through a certain drill a lot easier uh, right. or, or just, you know, hey, I'm working on something. I want to have a follow-up shot before the wind changes or I want to do something here real quick and... Nope, I have to sled load another round in with this gun, whereas with this guy, I've got another few on tap. That's a good point, too. And along with that, uh, I would say probably the most important part with what you were just talking about is with long-range shooting, we we like consistency. So we like to keep our head on the gun. We like to keep our body in the same position from shot to shot. Uh, And if we constantly have to top load around, we're kind of making those extraneous movements. uh, That might compromise our position and cause, you know, variation or in our group or just maybe just not to be as accurate as we could be when we constantly have to do something like that. I didn't even think about that. I'm just thinking of being lazy. (laughs) You're thinking of really precision stuff here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But then, um, and then the obvious ones I pointed out back here, right? Uh, But before I get back here, I want to point this one out because this is the one I notice a lot too is in the back, hopefully they can see it, but it's a traditional swept stock kind of like a, an angled stock mm-hmm. backwards, right where you're supposed to grip grip right there. Uh, and up here, it's more of a vertical. Uh, this is more like a pistol grip. Yep. Just uh, about. And we get this kind of vertical angle here. Uh, and this allows us to kind of position our hand on the rifle in a favorable position to get us straight into the rear trigger press. 
So they'll probably see if, if people have been following precision rifle shooters or see pictures of their guns or things like that. They'll notice those vertical grips mm -hmm. uh, that the competitors uh, and maybe military snipers use on their guns. Uh, and that just allows for a better grip on the gun and us to actually pull the trigger straight into the rear uh, and just good angles. Everything is ergonomic and, and kind of working in our favor there. Right. We're able to hold the gun into our shoulder. Uh, and it's not with a swept stock. It's kind of, I'm angling my, my wrist like this. Right. And then if I try to, to press my trigger straight into the rear, it's kind of like an upward forcing me upwards or I have to make some, yeah. some weird uh, compensation for it. If you pointed so, at something over there, you'd point with your yeah. hand vertically oriented and your, your index finger, you wouldn't point right. at it like right. that. Yeah. You know, right. It feels yeah. funny. So, and it does. It's definitely something you feel because I've shot guns with a vertical grip for a long time. And then going back to the hunting rifle, I'm like, wow, this is not ergonomic, right. and this is a little bit weird. So it's it's tougher in that aspect for sure. Yeah. So, um, and then just those common adjustments back here, the comb height that I mentioned before, uh, and then the length of pull for my stock. Being able to fit that gun to me, we're all built differently, uh, and it's important to set the gun up for you specifically if you're going to be on it, mm -hmm. uh, or me. All right, we just want to be right where we need to be right when we get on the gun. Yeah. So just for fun, this is an entire different podcast. I mean, that we'll probably get into, I think. But uh, of course, the optic. Now, Corey is, you know, he's a long range guy. So even on his hunting rifle, he's got exposed turrets. But we'll see folks who come in with their mm -hmm. with their hunting rifle and they're like, I want to see again, like you said, what this thing can do. But not only is the rifle kind of limiting factor, but they've got dad's old three to nine on it doesn't have a lot of magnification it's got cap turrets that they're having to screw off and deal with and really aren't they were never really designed to be dialed a whole lot they've got a simple duplex crosshair reticle in there instead of something with more information in it you know there's these things all start start to add up as well and you know like right. i said the optics are something we could go into you know right. a whole nother 40 minutes on but. absolutely and uh, i will mention one thing on the optics though and it's just a well a part of the optics and that's the scope base. So on a, a long range rifle, you'll typically see scope bases have uh, zero MOA uh, cant, which is the this rail system is just straight, straight across, no, no cant built into it. Uh, and you'll find 20 MOA, 30 MOA, even 40 MOA sometimes. Uh, and what that means is that uh, this rail actually has bias built into it. This is a 30 MOA uh, bias rail, and it's actually angled downward slightly. Uh, and that's pretty common or used to be pretty common on long range rifles. Our, mm. our cartridges are pretty efficient now. Uh, so sometimes we don't even really need bias built into it. Right. You do because you're shooting an ancient cartridge like the 308. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, it's important. And sometimes, uh, you know, if we're shooting a less efficient cartridge, uh, we do need uh, a little bit more juice out of our optics. And, and that's what that does is. That, that 30 MOA uh, kind of gets tacked on to the elevation that exists inside my optic. Mm -hmm. So if I were to slap this on my gun for the very first time uh, and go zero it, I would probably have to dial down about 30 MOA in order to zero it. And when I dial down, that's uh, freeing up all the upward elevation uh, that I might need to hit those longer range targets. Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, even even something we can probably talk further on in the future. If, if you guys hear topics, you know, just that we sort of even maybe breeze over you're like hey talk more about that we can we can hit it bring it to you in a future episode one last thing i was going to ask Corey, and and this is this is 
is something that I don't always think is absolutely necessary nowadays because I see that the factory options in guns that people can get are, are so good. But uh, this 308 here, I believe you had custom built, correct? Yes. Whereas the 7, uh, 7 Red Mag up there is a factory gun. Yes. And I see so many factory guns shoot amazing. So this isn't a whole thing where it's like factory guns can't shoot as well. Right. But precision guns that shoot high round counts at long range, do all this stuff. They, uh, the, the guns you're sh- seeing, most guys shoot in PRS. There's plenty of factory guns doing it. But the way that the barrel is mated to the receiver, the way that the receiver is mated to the stock, the way everything is put together in this case is just done such that it's it's so much less likely to start to encounter issues with inconsistencies as things start to heat up or as things get a little beat up, you know, I'm sure you've got a really high quality barrel here, whereas, you know, the factory barrel on a traditional hunting rifle, it's made in mass production, you know, and it's just kind of, they basically reach into a bin full of barrels and they reach into a bin full of receivers, connect them together in a lot of cases, and, and then it's on its way. And so this, this gun just in and of itself is more likely to be, when you sight it in 100 yards, more likely to be maybe a half-minute gun. Right. Whereas your typical hunting setup with a lot of the ammo that I think people feed through hunting rifles might be a one, maybe two MOA gun. You know, it's right. hard to say. Yep. Uh, and so these are just held to stricter standards. Yeah, definitely. And if, if people are looking to go the factory route, I would say at a minimum, um, Try to get a guarantee with that. You know, see if they have a guarantee on the rifle that they're producing. Uh, so mm-hmm. if, if they're saying like, "Hey, we have this rifle," uh, I would want some sort of accuracy guarantee. Is it? You know, we guarantee this rifle will shoot one minute of angle or better. Right? And uh, that may f- makes me feel a little bit better. You know, I have yeah. something to hold them to and uh, I'll look for in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I would definitely, at a minimum for the factory route, look for a guarantee. And even the custom uh, route too, I like guarantees, uh, but you know, they're riding on their reputation, so they're less likely to, you know, just flub a gun out and, and give it to you. So. Right. It's always a game of trade-offs with, with rifles, you know? I mean, the perfect bolt-action rifle. In, in case you've just been listening this whole time, we've been talking about bolt-action rifles. I figured that that would be obvious enough. But the perfect bolt-action rifle, the perfect rifle, it just doesn't exist, you know? Because you think to yourself, okay, well, I want to do both long-range hunting and shooting. You can't with one gun. You absolutely can. Like mm-hmm. this gun here that you have, this 20-pound 308 gun. Right. You can take it hunting. Yeah. There's nothing saying that you can't. It's just that it's quite heavy. And so... You're like, all right, well, I want to make it lighter weight, but I want to retain all the qualities that it has now. It's like, well, you're probably going to do that by getting a thinner thinner barrel, so you're yeah. going to lose some of the qualities that it currently has. And maybe you right. got to get a different stock that's lighter weight, so you might lose some of the qualities there right. in order to make it swing more, the pendulum more over to that that hunting side. So then right. you know, you're like, well, well, maybe I'll just take this hunting rifle to start and beef it up a little bit. Well, it's like, well, it's probably going to get heavier. It's probably going to get a little bit bigger. You know, you might have things that you're adjusting that are sticking up off the gun. You might need to get a bigger, heavier optic. You know, oh, well, I like the simple crosshair. Well, now the optic's got a more complex reticle. There's, yeah. it, it's so hard. You can find a gun that, you know, you just live with. You're like, yeah, I realize it's not super lightweight, but I can hunt with it and it does great at the, at the range. But then you just have to realize that you're compromising. Right. That's kind of the thing. Yeah. And that's, that's really, uh, trying to strike that balance is hard. 
because I've thought about it. And I'm like, what would be the perfect gun? And trying to like really drill down and find one is it's really difficult and it, uh, it's hard to find an answer that doesn't involve like maybe purchasing a factory rifle and taking something off of it and putting something on it yep. uh, and things like that. So, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, striking that balance isn't the easiest thing. Um, so I think there has to be a compromise somewhere with weight, you know, versus accuracy, depending on what the person wants to do. Yep. Um, and I would say whatever they want to do more, if they're going to use it for hunting, but they're going to shoot long range recreationally a lot with it. Well, maybe just set it up for the, uh, recreational shooting long range. And then you can take it hunting too, as like an afterthought. Right. Um, or vice versa. So, and in that case, there's the old classic saying, just do more push-ups if it's heavier. You know what I mean? I mean, it, or you know, or you might just have to realize that your your hunts may be tailored around you not being as mobile. I don't know. And that's the conclusion we come to. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. If you if you learned anything from Corey, he's uh, he's going to be really upset with me off camera that all we ended on was do more push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> that's not where you were going, I think, Corey. Hey, what you said before, you just don't pay attention to anything I said after Corey. We'll just pretend like you stopped there. But uh, this is all good stuff. And, you know, I certainly think if any of you guys have questions about rifle setups, that's that's the whole thing. If you're if you're coming to take a long range class, depending on when this podcast is released, I know that we're here in Wisconsin. And so, you know, it gets cold in the winter. So we have a bit of a lull. But if you're taking a long range class anywhere and you just have a question, you can always talk to your friendly, uh, friendly friends at Vortex, Vortex Edge. Hit us up. Talk to us about it. You know, hit us up in the comments, Instagram, all that good stuff, because we're always happy to talk guns. Yeah. And it's never wrong to go and get more than one gun. It isn't. Your significant other, you know, you can always just say it's their gun, the second one. I would already, I would agree with that. Right, right, yeah. Oh, it's the wife's gun. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the husband's gun, for that matter. It's 2022. We have to be equal opportunity. We're <laughs> yeah, recording this in 22, at least. I don't course, know. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else, Corey? Um, no, I think that was a pretty thorough and uh, like Jimmy said, if you have questions, reach out. We're more than happy to answer them. Um, uh, we like love this stuff. So, Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. See you on the next one. That'll do it for this episode of the Vortex Edge podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening as usual. If you like what you heard, be sure to give us a like, comment, or review, depending on the platform you're listening. Got a topic you want to hear one of our pro firearms instructors give their opinion on? Be sure to drop those suggestions in the comments on the Vortex Edge YouTube or Instagram pages. That helps us cover exactly what you want to hear relating to training, guns, gear, and improving yourself as a shooter and responsible gun owner in every aspect. And hey, we can have a ton of fun along the way. That's all the better. Thanks again, everyone. See you on the next one.